0: This is not just another fitness podcast. Why? I touch on subjects that not only have I experienced, but most likely you or a person you know has probably experienced it as well. I created the Me Movement on the Mic to provide you with relatable content and information on areas of movement, mindset and health. I'm on a mission to help you filter through life, to help you break free of the fitness stereotypes and embrace you while still enjoying a gelato or two. So join me, Sally, and let's get this episode started. Good morning, Dr. Tony Potaje. How are you today?
1: I'm great, Sally. How are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. I have to apologize. Um, Let me know if I pronounced your surname correctly.
1: No, as I would expect, you, of all people, would pronounce it correctly.
0: Oh, did I? You did well. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's
1: uh, not common, so- though. It's not common.
0: To pronounce it correctly or your surname? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, both. There's not many Batagis in the world. Uh, I'm one of a few in Australia and maybe under 10 worldwide. So it's not a common name, but you got it right.
0: Uh, after the pressure. Just, just went down just a notch. So... I'm glad. So, touching on that, tell me a little bit about you and your, your background.
1: All right. Well, my background, like many of us, is mixed. My father's from the Middle East. My mother is from Australia. I was born in Oxford, England. Uh, so, it's very, very mixed, my heritage.
0: So, from the Middle East, there's a, it's a big place.
1: Big place from Jerusalem.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. The, Not many people can say their grandmother was born in Bethlehem, but I can.
0: Wow, that is super biblical. Just taking me back there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, um, that, that was your grandma? It's
1: my grandmother, well, yeah.
0: Do you know how to say grandma in Arabic?
1: Well, we would call her Nana, but yeah. What 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 do you call grandmother?
0: Okay. So I'm I'm Middle Eastern. Mum's from Lebanon. My dad's from Syria. So mm-hmm. Arabic uh, grandma is teta.
1: Okay. That's right. That's right.
0: Because Palestinians speak Arabic, right?
1: That's right. And we eat the same food.
0: Very similar. Very. Very similar. There is a. I think there's an age-old um topic. Let's call it topic. Is where did the dish hummus originate.
1: <laughs> well, everyone knows it's Palestine.
0: It is. 100% it is.
1: 100%.
0: Have you been to Jerusalem?
1: I have not. My uh, travels have been really limited to work. And yeah, with the state of the world, it's somewhere I'd probably rather read about or look at in a movie than actually visit. But the heritage just... Just incredible.
0: Beautiful. My mom went to Jerusalem. She went um, with her church group and she did a little um, pilgrimage mm-hmm. and she loved it.
1: Mm-hmm. She said
0: the people were amazing, the food, the atmosphere. I mean, you read a lot about things in the media. She said it's completely different. I mean, she went 10 years ago, but yeah, still.
1: Yeah. 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 I guess you have to pick your time and perhaps – in the current climate now is not the best time for a visit. But funny enough, my parents have done those church group tours as well.
0: How did they go? Did they like that?
1: Yeah, they loved it. They yeah. loved it.
0: So we'll go back. Now you are, you have been in the health and fitness scope for quite a long time. Why fitness? Take well, me back to, to baby uh, Tony before he was doctor. <laughs>
1: mm. Well, I didn't think that I was going to do it. I thought that I would be a musician. So I majored in music at high school and was a guitar teacher and playing gigs at night. And then around 1995, I just thought this isn't really consistent with my lifestyle. I like exercising, I like healthy eating and playing in smoky pubs until all hours. Just wasn't really who I was. So I thought perhaps I could study sports science and get a job in the health and fitness industry. So I started as a personal trainer and studied sports science. Uh, basically, did a uh, training to pay my way through university, and that was yeah, 1995.
0: Well, wow, that's amazing. So music and musician is like the polar opposite, like the lifestyle, the polar opposite of health and fitness. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, uh, well, I just gravitated to music and I have a obsessive personality. So once I have an interest in something, I tend to do it quite a a bit. So uh, legendary guitarist would practice six or eight hours a day. So I would practice six or eight hours a day. And uh, I I had to wean myself off music and take it into sports and physiology And it was just, I wanted to be fit and healthy. So that's became my career for the decades that came after.
0: Well, that's amazing. Um, So I did ask you what your favorite music was, what I usually do sometimes at the beginning Uh, of um, my podcast, because I used to sing back uh in the day also. um, And then I used to, I'll do a clip of a song, but I can't sing the classical stuff, Tony.
1: (laughs) Oh, I see. I see. Well, I'm a real classical music fan. I listen to it when I'm working, when I'm driving, when I'm trying to have a sleep. Uh, the, I, the the theory and the rich history of classical music is just beautiful. And being a guitarist, the forerunner of the guitar was the lute. So I really like lute music. But you're right, Sally, you can't sing that. So... Uh, yeah, maybe I should have said U2 or something like that. If I'm going to listen to modern music, it's it's U2 or Coldplay or, or, or bands in that kind of genre.
0: It's interesting you say like classical music because recently I was writing a report and I needed something to kind of uh, get me in the flow. Mm-hmm. So I started to listen to some Bach and Mozart and mm-hmm. it's amazing I th- and and, and it's amazing how much you kind of like are relaxed and y- you get the work done.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a well-observed phenomena, and it really is a great way of reducing stress, lowering your cortisol. I particularly like music from the Baroque period, uh, Bach, as you've said. And and that music really does speak to my, my soul. As music became the classical period and the romantic period, it's not as... It doesn't speak to me as much, but Baroque, definitely.
0: I can totally relate. Um, Do you feel in a a particular way when you listen to classical music? Because when I listen to it, I feel like it's a story and there's like colours, but more of a story.
1: Yeah, and isn't that amazing how music speaks to all of us in in different ways? When I hear Bach, I hear genius. I, I hear the divine in in music, because how can these people living hundreds of years ago be so prodigious with how much they write across the instruments from single voice to whole uh, whole groups of musicians, whole orchestras? It's remarkable. So the body of work is impressive. So when I hear that, how did you write that? How did you come up with that? And the multiple voices, it's, it, it's the divine in music.
0: It's, um, it, and it's still used today in modern music. You, there'll be like a little snippet and mm. it'll, it'll be in a rap song or any kind it's of cool. rock song. So it's quite, um, there's a lot of longevity with this classical music.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a science base behind it in terms of productivity, listening mm. to that kind of tone. Mm. Um, yeah. Have you heard about that?
1: Yeah, there's been a number of studies. It's been coined the Mozart effect. And there's been a number of theories proposed for how that helps memory and retention, uh, learning new disciplines. And it could be that the the speed of the music and the beat of the music tends to lower our heart rate and our heart rate variability. Uh, It's not my area, but there's, there's a lot of studies on it.
0: So you're saying that music helps?
1: Yeah, I think the majority of data supports that.
0: Do you listen to music? This is, I'm going to flip this up. I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you think, um, do you listen to music when you exercise?
1: I do. And it depends on the session. And for a lot of us trainers, we tend to train across the different disciplines or cross-train. So I ride a bike, I run, I swim, I use an assault bike, uh, and I lift weights. So some of those really lend themselves to inspirational music. So in particular, if I'm doing interval training or weight training, we always perform better, or most of us always perform better if there's really uplifting, fast rock music. When I'm just doing easy work, Interestingly, I listen to novels or watch Netflix, and it just makes my brain escape a little bit. So, for high intensity work, pretty much always music. For low intensity work, pretty much always an audio book or Netflix.
0: So, that's really interesting. Let's look at um, your fitness. You explained that you've been, you, you change up your fitness in terms of oh, your training, uh, strength training, some high intensity, um, your cycling as well. Has your fitness and has your, you know, flavor of uh, the type of exercise evolved over the years?
1: Definitely. And it, it reflected the muscle fiber makeup and the predisposition that I had. So in my early years, I would do triathlon. And you can, you can tell from my physique that I'm all slow twitch. So I gravitate to activities that are low amplitude, but you can go for long periods of time. And then I went through, as I became more entrenched in strength training, I became more oriented towards strength training, weightlifting in particular. But now as I'm a bit older, I really just try and spread the the exercise stimulus in multiple different ways to keep it interesting, to make sure that I'm, I'm balanced in terms of my strength and fitness level. No one type of exercise can impart everything that we need for fitness. So I do some low intensity work and some high intensity work and strength, flexibility. And with the aerobic training, I just try and mix it across the discipline. So I'm not in one direction. A few years ago, all I did was cycle. It was like 400 kilometers a week, every week. And I realized that I was so imbalanced in terms of my fitness, I couldn't swim, I couldn't run. So now I just try and distribute it across. And I'm a much happier person. Uh, spreading the cardio stimulus across different disciplines mm.
0: so what do you say to people who like yourself at one stage are just one direction you know you've got the people who have just started out working out and they're just going straight to the high intensity workouts because their yeah. main goals let's just call let's just be generic and say weight loss like what do you say to yeah. them
1: But the real issue that we have as coaches is that the more unidirectional your exercise training, the greater the chance of burnout and overuse pattern injuries. When you lift weights, that's less common because for the majority of people, weight training is balanced, providing you're following a good program. But if you are trying to bring up certain areas of your physique, you want to bring up to have bigger shoulders or pecs if you're a guy or arms or glutes and abs if you're a female, then that's no longer a balanced program. That becomes like an athlete. becomes unidirectional, like a swimmer. It's all internal rotation. Swimming and running is all quad but very little hamstring. And then ultimately what happens is you develop pattern use, overuse injuries, and they can take a really long time to get rid of once that problem exists. So my advice to anyone is diversify your portfolio of investment. So although your goal might be body composition and that's more muscle and decrease in fat, you can can get to that by spreading the stimulus through a number of different patterns. So do some rowing and assault bike and bike and swimming and running. And that can count as your cardio. Don't just do one type. And with your weight training, do make sure it's balanced or at least phases of the training year are more balanced so you might leading up to summer or leading up to a competition do more very targeted training towards areas you want to build that's fine but then in your off season you need to do all those things you just don't like doing and that could be opposing muscle groups or working on your stabilizers but that will give you longevity in the pursuit that you like doing which is fitness
0: I love that. Longevity. It's such a strong word. But I also love the the diversifying your portfolio. Ah. That's amazing. That is gold.
1: Well, if only I could trademark that, Sally. You know, that's uh, it's, the, it's the idea. That's it's the it's idea. exactly what you want in training. Uh, and we, we're often just so unidirectional, but you do need to spread the stimulus across the board.
0: Definitely. And I guess like you can apply it to... Anything in life, right?
1: Nutrition in particular is that we tend to eat foods that we like, that that we know how to cook. And that means that uh, nutrients that we have are from a very narrow scope of those foods that fit that profile. And so I encourage clients to try and eat across the countries. And it is over the month, it doesn't have to be a week, but over the month that you've had food from... India, China, the Middle East, France, Italy, Spain, Mexico. And if you've done that, it means that over the month, you've had a completely different array of spices. Often the central product of the food is the same. There's plants, you've got proteins, but it's the way that they're cooked with the spices. And because of that, you'll get a huge array of different nutrients in the diet.
0: Dr. Tony, you mentioned food, and I've seen your Instagram food clips. How can you be a fitness professional and eat pizza? Explain that to me.
1: (laughs) Well, you have to be good at balancing the demands of training to what you're bringing back in. And some types of training rely heavily on your own fat stores. And that's just what I'm just out of the shower. I've just spent an hour on the bike doing some low intensity work, that basically relies on fat as a fuel source. But later on today, I'm going to do some high intensity interval training and that empties the tank of our storage form of carbohydrate. So within the training week, I plan foods to replenish that deliciously. And life's too short to not enjoy those foods. So I'll I'll make pizza or pasta or rice-based dishes, And that will be tied to the degree that I exercise. So being an exerciser is a constant emptying of the muscles, refilling the muscles, emptying the muscles. And that over the week allows you a lot of forgiveness, forgiveness in the types of foods that you eat.
0: So tell me the truth. Are you really cooking those meals?
1: I am. Yeah. In fact, my job in the household is the cook and I, uh, I enjoy cooking. At the end of the day, when you've been either on a computer all day or, or barking instructions in a gym, to just have a cutting board and to focus on cutting and cooking and creating something from raw ingredients, it's good for my brain. Not everyone loves that. A lot of people think of it as a chore. I really love it. Uh, it again, it's that obsessive personality of trying to perfect things. So yeah, I cook every day. Uh, And I cook, uh, like I said, across the different countries.
0: What's on the menu today?
1: I haven't actually thought that far, but I can tell you yesterday uh, was an Arabic day. So I asked my kids, what do you want me to cook tonight? And then they will say, I really want X, Y, and Z. So uh, last night was, you'll know this, is that the baked upside down rice and meat dish called makloube? Makloube.
0: Do you know what that means?
1: Upside down.
0: That's it. You got it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the kids love it because they can make their own upside down. But it's got everything in it. It's got a legume. It's got rice. It's got meat. Uh, it's got a nut. It's got spices. What more do you want that's a winner?
0: I think my mom, when I was competing a long time ago, she was just mortified with, with me saying no to certain things. Um, okay. Looking back, it was probably not the best approach because – the the foundational foods of my heritage are amazing.
1: Mm, no question.
0: Very heavily plant-based, yeah. basically vegetarian mm. with a little bit of meat, you know, the tabbouleh from yeah. my mom's garden, parsley, yeah. you yeah. know, the tomato, uh, the roasted eggplant. Do you do mm-hmm.
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know, absolutely. so yeah. that's, it's a great, it's a great heritage of food.
0: Definitely. So, what is your do you have a favorite dish
1: other than pizza other than pizza uh, I I I really love Thai and Asian food and it's it, it's amazingly different you can do slow braises and you can do fast stir-fries and salads soups it also is it's helpful for training because you can have a a, a rich protein source to enhance muscle recovery It can be based on rice or noodles to replenish glycogen stores. It's really got everything that I would want. And I could make it higher in energy or I could make it pretty lean if I didn't need a lot of energy for that day. So nutrition really is knowing what your demands of training are and how much you're expending, whether you want to be in energy balance to keep training ticking over or whether you want to be in deficit. So you want to lose body fat or even in surplus, because you want to gain mass. And once you know that, then you can basically link your meals to your training demands and get more from that training nutrition interaction.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Talking about training, what does your um, week consist of in terms of what you actually do because you just mentioned you did a ride now and then you're going to do yeah. some high intensity work. I mean this yeah. is your forte and it's kind of normal to have multiple sessions sometimes a week I mean a yeah. day. Yeah. So tell me about your week.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm like you are and that we we grab the training time where we can and that's often in between writing tasks or between training clients. So it's not like I usually get one big block of time uh, I think for people who work on the hour. Uh, we do it where we can. But generally speaking, I train somewhere between a minimum of 14 hours a week up to about 20 hours a week. And the the vast majority of that is at low intensity. So a, a lot of my clients say, you train two, three hours a day. It's like, yes, but it's not all interval training, right? So over that week, that would be typically somewhere like, six or seven hours of resistance training, and that would be driven towards strength-oriented goals, stability, and general muscle maintenance, muscle hypertrophy across that week spread in different sessions. Uh, There would be at least seven hours of zone two aerobic exercise, and that's spent just slow swimming or slow jogging or slow riding. And then there's some high intensity work, which is typically two sessions a week. And that's either targeting VO2 intervals. So two minutes to eight minutes of work or sprint interval training, which might be 30 seconds on as hard as I can and then resting a bit. It changes. I don't have a goal for performance. I just want to be fit and keep it interesting. So it's not particularly systemized. It's just done.
0: That's quite intense for the average person who's listening to this episode. Um, but I wanted to break that down and, and ask you, with your clients, like who are your clients and what's your average kind of prescription? Let's just say for someone who's just come in, um, hasn't had that much training experience, but wants to learn the best technique from the one of the best trainers in Australia. I don't know anyone else. I know a few, but you're... You're you're qu- quite, um, you know, you, you've got a lot of experience and 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 you've got a lot of detail in your uh, prescription. So l- let let the listeners know what would you what was what's your approach?
1: Thank you. Uh, the approach is always specific to the person. Why are they wanting to exercise? What do they really want to achieve? And I take that on board with what I know as someone who works in the industry, what they need. So from those twin goals, I'll then design a program based on their time and their inclination and their desire to exercise. But it invariably involves some form of assessment to see what they're good at and what they're not so good at. And then I try and sneakily get them doing what they don't like doing and what they're not good at because you're only ever as strong as what your weakest capacity is. For anyone over the age of 40, I strongly suggest that weight training becomes the priority tool. And that's because we lose muscle mass and strength so rapidly after the age of 40 and then after the, after the age of 50 it's even more and 60 and then it just keeps going downwards. So I I just I make the argument for them that although you might not like weight training or you think it's all about bodybuilding, it really is your best tool for approaching your later years with as much vitality and ability as possible. So weight training is a foundation. It's based on injury history, uh, what they've got access to in a gym, what areas of muscle I think they need to focus on, but there's commonalities. And for many people, it's weak low backs, it's weak ankles and it's weak shoulder stabilizers. So somewhere in that program is they're learning to lift and know their muscles and body. I'm adding in there things for shoulder stabilizers, low back specific drills and ankle strengthening. But we do everything. Of course, you you have to strengthen all major muscle groups, but there might be a bit of an emphasis on those muscle groups. I also then encourage that low intensity exercise because that's a really potent stimulus for an aspect in muscle called mitochondria and mitochondria is where we metabolize our fuel we burn the fuel and the health of the mitochondria is linked now to our overall health across multiple different pathways in the body whether it's brain or heart or metabolism mitochondria is linked to that so the low intensity or called zone two exercises are very easy and potent stimulus to improve mitochondrial functioning. And then after a period of time, once they're stronger and more balanced and they've developed this baseline fitness, I then start to incorporate some high intensity training where you basically rev the engine because that does something that all the other systems of exercise just doesn't do.
0: Absolutely, and I love that you mentioned the mitochondria for je- for health, overall health, because yeah. it's um it's so important, and um you know doctors actually will tell you that you know it, your health is determined by you know your your cells, right? Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a question. Um, you have a lot, so so much experience, knowledge, education. I mean, you teach people how to be better trainers. Is there anything that is worrying you in the current state of the health and fitness? You're not, you should be bigger in the social media scope, but you're not, okay? Um, I know that like it's probably just a new thing for you on on the social media um, and you're a very people's person, you know, that's that foundational conversation that you have. Is there anything that worries you? Have you seen something and you're like,
1: I think that is true for any professional in any field, is that they see trends or misinformation. And there are many different approaches to health and fitness. So often the take is, well, that's not the way that I see the world or where I see the data. Uh, but that doesn't tend to upset me. What I do when I see misinformation or deliberate misinformation, uh, that does annoy me a bit. I was a later doctor of social media, and and I think that's partly because I'm just a little older, so my generation just didn't jump onto it straight away. Uh, we also felt like we didn't need to take a photo of everything that I was doing throughout the day and, and tell other people, and I perhaps just didn't think that people would really care that I had a coffee and took a photo of that uh, with my top off. I, can't. So, I was, <laughs> so I was a late adopter, and uh, the uh, for a lot of professionals, you're juggling a lot of things so for coaches like myself we're in the gym coaching and then when we're not doing that we're just busily trying to read the latest science that's coming out across multiple disciplines whether it's nutrition or sports nutrition or or physiology there's always something that new knowledge is coming out and the biggest worrying trend that I see amongst trainers is how to know whether the source of information that you're getting is actually accurate. How can you weigh up somebody's credentials or the level of their argument? And that's where we see um, misinformation spreading because well-intentioned trainers just don't know whether what they're reading is a reliable source of information. And I I think that's helpful for the public and trainers to say, well, how how do I know what I know? Or how do they know what they know? And that can help that group think or that echo chamber where all you ever listen to are people who you agree with. And you you do want a healthy debate for for Mm -hmm. sure in this industry because there are multiple points of views on on nutrition and training.
0: Definitely. And uh, there's no one size that fits all. What could work for you won't work for me,
1: depending on many
0: factors. That's such a diplomatic answer.
1: Well, the the more you've trained people, the more you realise that this method will probably suit you and this one this one will suit you a little bit better you can work that out based on uh your personality profile training history what people like doing not everyone likes cardio that's fine so but we but no one can get away with doing no cardio so there's clever ways of using interval training to to get the best out of both worlds to try and get an aerobic stimulus and anaerobic and there's those people who just love aerobic training and never want to do weight training so again there's no one who can get away without lifting weights and that's where a trainer comes in and and tilts the program and tailor makes it to somebody's personality profile
0: but people hate that they hate it
1: yeah yeah but nevertheless if 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 you want to improve your health there are certain things that really must be done across and we have to be grown up about this. If you want good health, you have to have good sleep. You you have to do aerobic training. You have to lift weights. And it doesn't really matter. We're not kids anymore. When you're a kid, if you didn't like broccoli, you didn't have to eat the broccoli. But when you're a grown up, you're not going to have good health if you don't spread your your attention across these foundational pillars that we know give you good health.
0: And I think that's an important thing, topic and and and. Phrase that you use. We're adults now, and if you're not gonna eat, you know, a, a balanced diet with uh, plant-based fiber. If you if you don't like your broccoli, if you go, no, I'm not gonna do any cardio, then there's gonna be some, you know, after effects of that.
1: Yeah, this is just personal responsibility, and it's been hammered into society now with COVID. You have to have personal responsibility, and well, also we're grownups. So if you don't want health and fitness, that's fine. I mean, that's that's your choice. But if you do, then coaches like us can say, well, here are five or six, six things that you can do that we can dramatically improve your health as we age. And they are your sleep and your aerobic and your intervals and your weight training and potentially flexibility and mobility to make all those other things more comfortable in doing that. And they require consistency. And it's the word that is is—it's not popular because we want things instantaneously, but the development of those capacities, they take months if not years of consistent application. So there's no use doing it for a month and then falling off the bandwagon. there has got to be sustainable and you have to do it day in, day out.
0: It's a habit building. That's what it sounds like. Mm, Dr. Absolutely. Tony, you are constantly mentioning this word from the beginning of this podcast. You kept saying cardio, cardio, it's really important, heart health, cardio. Why?
1: Yeah, so every way that we exercise, and broadly speaking, we've got two types of exercise. We've got those that are short, heavily, heavily bound towards muscle contractions like lifting weights. And then we have those that are lower intensity that you can do for longer periods of time. Both of those exercise stimuli have really different effects on multiple systems in the body. No one type of exercise has the monopoly on imparting health benefits or fitness benefits. And when you perform aerobic training, the stimulus primarily is heart, lungs, metabolism in muscle. And that is where we know the improvements in the mitochondria, that aspect of muscle that metabolizes fuel. That's the the flux and the demand is put in mitochondria. So we see that that is where you get the primary benefits, but the data doesn't really show those changes in mitochondria when you lift weights. That's more a stimulus that's driven towards the contractile machinery. So we get stronger, muscle gets bigger, connective tissue gets stronger, but it's not really mitochondrial. So a clever coach would say, well, how do we program in a week for you to get the most out of your heart and mitochondria and the most out of contractile machinery and get stronger and bigger? Because you want both. You just don't want one. As I mentioned, I think it tilts towards strength and muscle as we get older. But mitochondrial folk would say, well, you don't just want muscle and strength without having a functioning mitochondria. So I am certainly one leg in both camps and try with my clients to build both simultaneously across the week and across the years.
0: It sounds like you're just, you're like building a house.
1: Mm.
0: You can't build yeah. a house without the foundation, the, you know, the beams mm-hmm. and then, you know, whatever goes around us. So if anyone's listening, um, which I know that there are definitely listeners that want to listen to uh, this podcast with you, Dr. Tony. It's important to have like like food, a different kind of flavor and a different um, approach. Does that, does that was that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can just for for most people you just dedicate 30 minutes to an hour each day but know what the goal of that session is. So the goal maybe on Monday, being the primary day of the week when you're you're fresh yourself a weekend, could be what's most important to you. And that could be lifting weights. And your goal from that session is to leave stimulating strength and muscle growth pathways. So that's, that's the goal. Now, the next day could be an hour, low intensity jog, walk, swim, bike ride. And the goal is to stimulate mitochondrial growth, the heart, muscle metabolism. Then Wednesday could be, again, muscle back in the weights room. Thursday then could be where you're revving the system and doing some interval training, like some Tabatas or a minute on, minute off, and as cardio, but you're really pushing the capacity of the system. And Friday again could be weight. Saturday just could be a long walk. And then across the week, you've stimulated three different pathways in the body rather than just being one direction.
0: What I love about that, it's multi dimensional. It's not just, hey, you just go into the gym and do this. It's like, get out, go for a swim, go for a run, go for a walk, which is great. And it's the stimulus as well. Like you look outside and there's the sun. And um, I think that that's so important. And I feel that during COVID, it's forced people to look at other avenues. Has that changed for you?
1: Well, being a scientist, uh, you always know the importance of diversifying your exercise stimulus. But we often do become very focused on, well, what do you want to be better at? And if you want to be better at something, then that's what you do over and over. So swim is just swim. And weightlifters just do weightlifting. And it's only when you take a step back from sports to say, well, we're not dealing with people going to the Olympics. We're dealing with people who are in the race the lifelong race for health, fitness, longevity, and and vitality. So in that instance, it doesn't make any sense that we just spend all of our time doing one thing, because that will just lead to burnout. So if you're not going to the games, then spread your exercise interventions across a number of different uh, modes to keep longevity and to make sure that you're stimulating your body in different ways. Mm
0: -hmm. You mentioned that you love reading current studies. Is there anything that you've read currently that, uh, that really interests you and um, that you thought was um, something that you'd like to share?
1: (laughs) Well, research comes out at an alarmingly fast rate and I have friends who are just scientists who might read 80 to 100 scientific papers a week. So it's a huge, huge field. Now, somebody who's a practitioner, I tend to read things that directly pertain to my work. So that's research in the weight loss world. And just this week, a huge study of an international team of experts were debating back and forth the merits of Is it energy restriction that drives weight loss or is it keeping the hormone insulin by reducing carbohydrates, the driver of weight loss or or weight gain, if you look at it around the other way? And this international team of experts concluded it's the energy balance that drives it rather than the carbohydrate. So this is a, a trend in science to look at macronutrients in sports training. I'm interested in anything that improves performance. So testing, monitoring, training interventions, different interval protocols. And in the world of strength training and muscle, there's studies that are articulating what muscle fibers are being recruited in different movements or different rep ranges and how much volume do you need to get a results and what happens when that engages with different nutrition interactions. So there's always something coming out across those disciplines, that is fascinating and helps refine our training process so that what we deliver to clients is based on the latest information, not what we learned at university 30 years ago.
0: That's so true. You talked about personal responsibility and I've seen the personal responsibility with my mom at She's 80 um, and I've seen her struggle with certain things. She needs a hip replacement, um, but she's 80. And compared to a lot of people her age, because she's been quite active in her later years, um, she definitely has the muscle strength to move around um, and do some, to do some exercise. Do you think that there should be a push for older adults to be, one, exercising more, two, including more strength-based exercises in their life uh, and maybe bump up the intensity?
1: Definitely to all of those questions. And it matters, the most important aspect is the progression. So if you are an older individual and you have been a lifelong avoider of exercise, then really any degree of movement will be more than what you've habitually done. So it's worthwhile understanding how we get fitter. And this comes back to the generalized theories of training. And that is, you have to have an overload stimulus above what you've habitually known. So the body mounts a defense so that you're stronger over the next coming days or, or fitter, whatever that stimulus was. So if you were an older individual, you have to go slower. Your ability to tolerate, adapt to, and positively respond from that training is not like it was when we were 20, to point out the obvious. So it's always worth, for an older individual, understanding in paper, strength training is a must. What have you been doing? Nothing. So it's very basic introductions to total body strength training and then progressively overloaded in time to get a training response in muscle and strength.
0: Dr. Tony, you have trained average populations. you have trained master bikini models, bodybuilders. Is there a different mind frame that they have when they come in to see you initially? Does it change or are they both the same?
1: They're very different okay. as you could imagine. And the athlete by and large will do what you tell them, when you tell them, as hard as you tell them to do it. And usually the coach has to hold them back because the mindset of an athlete is more and harder is always better. Whereas the coach is looking at it in terms of the big picture. And that is if you go too hard too soon, then what I have planned for you in two days time, you won't be able to do properly. And if you try and do it like that, then you'll end up being overtrained within a few weeks. So coaching athletes is great because they're very motivated, but it often involves having to hold them back a little bit so that you can get the most out of them over the long term. The general public, usually by the time they have come to that mental place to say, I would like some help with my training and some guidance. It's more about the education and developing patterns and habits that are much less volume-based and intense-based, but they're more across-the-board development, cardio, and flexibility, and, and, and weight training. And uh, working with both has their challenges and their rewards. But I think for coaches, if you ask across the board, is anyone who wants to train, we love training and usually those people who don't really like and we have to motivate that's i know that's not my skill set i'm a terrible motivator so usually by the time people come to work with us they want to and anyone who wants to we gladly help
0: that is so true you are people definitely come to you when they um definitely want to learn something and grow a little bit more with your vast experience I'm going to ask you one more question it's going to be one of the hardest questions out of this whole episode so prepare yourself I know that you love music that was your essence um, and classical music you mentioned but if you could go back in time and had the power to which which song would you wish you wrote Let's do two. Let's do classical. I oh, know you're going to pick a classical and let's do a modern. What's this? What's your jam?
1: All right. So if I were to have written a modern song, it would definitely be U2's one. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Why? Beautiful. Beautiful chords, beautiful lyrics. Deep. What can I say? It's, per- it's perfection in the song.
0: What does it trigger in you?
1: Uh, well, a number of emotions. Music is where did you first hear it, and what age were you, and what were you doing, and did you ever sing it with friends, and could I learn it on guitar and sing it when nobody was listening, and and those U two albums are really pivotal, uh, pivotal in my growth and develop as a young man. So there's there's all of that goes into that song, and uh, in terms of classical music. Well, anything by Bach, uh, in particular the Chaconne in D minor, which is a 15-minute piece of music that's got sad, it's got happy. When I hear this music, I hear the divine in how beautiful it fits together. So if I were to have written a classical piece of music, then I would say the Chaconne.
0: Does your, do your kids enjoy the same taste of music?
1: Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, I've got three young children, and they're all interested. They're all showing signs of interest in music. They uh, they all play guitar. They all sing. I don't sing. I, just I was going to ask
0: you, can you give us a tune of the? Word? I do not.
1: I do not sing. I don't dance, and I don't sing. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> but they're all showing signs in, in musicals. So perhaps there's a uh, inherited trait there.
0: Must be something inside from back in the day, back in the biblical land. You're probably some entertainer who looked really good, who could probably run around um, the town. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe.
1: We, can, we can always hope.
0: Look, Dr. Tony, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to give us all your knowledge and information.
1: My oh, pleasure is mine. Thank you.
0: And um, I hope everybody listening enjoy this. I'm sure they will Uh, I hope to see you soon. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Sally.
0: Thank you for listening to my episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it will be greatly appreciated if you have a spare 60 seconds to put a review on this podcast. It would mean so much, especially to a small business. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. I'll see you soon. Bye.